So uh, this is it, last last sermon. Are you awake enough? Amen. Amen. If you're not awake enough, I'm sorry you're going to miss an awesome sermon. I, I love Phil Sutton. I was told by a very reliable source named Jerry Hoffman that I really needed to meet Phil Sutton. And he said, the next time you come over, I'll make sure you meet Phil Sutton. Remember, he kind of orchestrated that meeting. That was pretty good stuff. And, and I'll tell you what, this man is the real deal. This man has a, a compassion like I've never seen before. He's going to be a, a Christian counselor. He already is. He's been for years. But now, is it like you get a certificate or something? Or how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> to do what we're going to do, Montana has to certify. All right. He's been doing that for years. And I'll tell you what, he's been giving me some sage advice as well. And so I just appreciate this man a ton. I love him. And an old preacher once told me, he said, you know, it doesn't matter how much a man knows until you know how much he cares. And this man really does care about people and about us and about this church, Christ Church. And so let's bring it on there. Come on, Phil Sutton. looking at us but I was having a good time oh I was too I was I was now you know have you ever had one of those old man moments when you forget something this yeah. was the closest to an old man I've ever been in a moment <laughs> <laughs> well man I opened that door and it got slammed but I'm, I don't want to have an old man moment so if you want to get Phil Sutton's message and every other message uh, Brad uh, McKinney who's our eight, you know, whatever you call it, IT guy. He's put most of them up on the website. It's cornerstonetruth.org. So you can go there and you can go back and you can listen to all these messages. And he said he'd try to have yours up online tomorrow. So, you know, if your kids need to listen to it, then you can tell them. <laughs> cornerstonetruth.org. So anyway, there you go. I'm going to turn it over so I didn't forget. Awesome. There you are. Thank you, Phil. It is good to be here tonight. And, uh, and I appreciate your kind words, and I, you know, I do care about people, but you know, I'm, I'm more excited that the Lord cares about us, doesn't he? Amen. He cares so much about us. He has so much compassion, so much mercy, so much love, and, uh, and that's, that's why he did the things that he did. And tonight, we're going to talk about, really, why we do the things that we do, and in a way that it's going to be the most effective. I just want to start out by reading a part of one scripture. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there at the end, and it says this. And I show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we know that everything you did was right. You had your plan set up before the foundation of the world. You saw the end from the beginning and everything you did was in the perfect way, with the perfect timing, with the perfect intentions, and everything was excellent and everything was good. And Father, we want to imitate you in that and we look forward, Lord, as we're serving you to every day explore better ways of doing things, things that bring you more glory and more honor and more effectively get your work done. And so, Father, we strive for the excellence. We strive for the excellent way, all to your glory, uh, none to ourselves, uh, so that Jesus Christ might be glorified and people might be saved. 
So I pray tonight as we uh, continue our, uh, our, our family camp, Lord, and our study on uh, the fear of the Lord, that, uh, that you will be glorified. And, Father, that I would uh, do uh, rightly divide your word in a way that's helpful and encouraging to the saints tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a week this has been. Amen. It's been really good. So encouraging to see people. I always love the messages. I love the singing. I really love just being around the people uh, of God, especially maybe people I haven't seen for a while, catch up a little bit on things. And, uh, and I, I heard several people say it's just always so encouraging to see uh, how the Lord is working with people uh, all over the world. You know, the Lord's work is getting done even when we don't see it. And we know that we know that by faith because the Lord's going to be working in his people. But it's so exciting to actually talk to people and see the things that they're doing and see the love, see the commitment, and see the work. So it's just really exciting. So, uh, so uh, glad to be here, and I, and I really pray that uh, tonight this will be a time of encouragement for you. Now, as Christians, as, as, as we mature, we graduate from simply distinguishing between right and wrong. You understand that? You know, we start out that way. You know, we're, we're very noble about it. If it's a sin, I'm not going to do it. But if it's okay, I'm going to do it. And as a matter of fact, I'm really going to draw those lines there, okay? You know, I'm not, I'm, if it's a sin, I will not do it. But if you can't find in the Bible a place where it says it's not a sin, it's okay for me to do it, and you can't be my judge, often we kind of go in that direction. And it's a good place to start, but we want to stay, don't want to stay there. That, that's, a, that's pretty easy, because really the Bible is, is pretty clear about the things that we should do, the things that we shouldn't do. Uh, very clear about the things, as we heard in the message uh, earlier today, the things that God loves, the things that God hates. It's not really hard to figure those things out. But as we, as we grow in our faith, we know that we have to think a little bit deeper about these things. Uh, you know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 was mentioned uh, one in one of the lessons this week where it says that we're supposed to lay aside the sins which so easily entangle us. Now, we, need, we can understand that, right? That might not always be easy, but we can understand the sins that are out there, and we need to lay them aside. We can look in the scriptures and find out the things that are right and things that are wrong. You, you lay those aside. But it also there says that we're supposed to lay aside the encumbrances or the weights or anything that slows us down, anything that might keep us from doing our best for the Lord. You know, that's a deeper way of thinking, isn't it? It's not just simply laying aside the sins. We have to step back and say, what is slowing me down? Even if it isn't inherently a sin. In other words, we're looking for a more excellent way of thinking, aren't we? Not just right and wrong, but we're starting to say, what actually helps me to do my work better for the Lord, not just right and wrong. I want to do things very well. See, the encumbrances are a bit harder to see. What slows us down? What makes us less effective? So we have to think about that a little bit more. Now, there's even a deeper level to this. You know what it says in James chapter 4? To the one who knows what? The right thing to do, but doesn't do it. To him, it's a what? Okay, so all of a sudden, we're in a situation, and by the way, life is, that's what life is about. Moment by moment, situation by situation, encounter by encounter with individuals. And at that moment, 
when we know what is the right thing to do at that moment, in that situation, for the glory of God, to help win a soul, to help edify a saint, to help move God's uh, um, purpose forward, when we know what the right thing to do is in that moment is, and we determine it, and we decide not to do it, then all of a sudden, we understand that that moves into the category of sin. So many places the Bible helps us to see some of these things. When we go to 1 Corinthians 10, this is actually a couple of, mentioned a couple of places in 1 Corinthians, we see these words, all things are lawful or all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. Not all things edify. Not all things build people up or build up the kingdom. So all of a sudden now we're thinking, okay, even the things that I have a clear conscience that I'm able to do without my conscience being defiled before the Lord, not all of those things actually are fruitful, are profitable. And I want to be fruitful. How about you? As a matter of fact, if we are not fruitful, uh, Peter has something to say about that over in 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, if, if, we, if we are not, if we don't have these characteristics and we're not growing, you know, uh, we find out that we're blind or short-sighted, haven't forgotten our purification from former sins. You know, we want to be fruitful. So not everything is, I might be allowed to do it. It's not necessarily a sin, but it's not profitable. And particularly, not everything edifies you see, where we're going is that we want to do things the more excellent way. You understand what I'm saying? How about this from Romans chapter 7? What three things is the law and the commandment? Three wonderful words. What are those, what are those adjectives? Do you remember? Law and commandments are, are what? holy and righteous. I'm trying to pull this out of you. One more. And good. You guys I've got the last sermon, okay? But the, but the law and the commandments, they're holy, they're righteous and good, but, but there is a more excellent way. The law of Moses is great. It is holy, it is righteous, it is good, but the faith of Christ is better. It, it is better, it is, it is more excellent. So this week we have been talking about fear. We're talking about all kinds of fear, but I'm particularly going to focus on tonight the fear of the Lord. And I want to suggest to you that the fear of the Lord in whatever form that was mentioned is a good thing. Wouldn't you say that? The fear of the Lord. Even uh, we kind of spoke negatively of the whole terror and horror. You know, but that kind of fear of the Lord, that is good and that is necessary. It accomplishes a goal. It makes people think about where they are, where they're going, what their future is. But people don't, they don't really want, need to stay there because there is a more excellent way. There really is. Now you already know if you know what 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 is about. You know what that excellent way is, but we'll get there in a minute. Um, but also even the more noble aspect of the fear of the Lord, honor and respect. And as I'm going to say, as Kirk said earlier, uh, let me get to the end of this message before you judge me too harshly on what I'm about to say. Because I promise you, even when it sounds like I'm arguing with you, usually I'm just agreeing with you. I just want to give you another aspect of it. But, but even the honor and respect, the, 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 the better part of fear, the absolute necessary part of fear, it accomplishes even more nobler 
other things than, than the terror part of the fear of the Lord. But I don't want to suggest to you, but even then, even then there is a more excellent way that lasts longer and accomplishes more. Because really fear, whether it's the fear of the Lord or just fear in general, it's never enough. It's never enough to accomplish a good goal or a, a lasting goal. I think about terror. Terror in general, whether it's terror of the Lord or terror of a situation, it is really, it is self-centered. When people have terror, they worry about, you know, what's going to happen to them. You know, everybody this week talked about being, a, being scared of the dark. I was a guy that was scared of the dark as well, but it, it was another level. And I tell my family about this sometimes and they laugh about it, but if you've ever really had such horror as a child, you know, there, you look back and you laugh, but when you think about it, these were horrible situations. They were just terrible. And especially when I had friends and family that knew it and they took advantage of this, <laughs> in this situation. I, uh, my next door neighbor one time invited me over to watch a horror movie at his house at night. And so I was scared on my way there. It was already dark. But on the way back, I didn't even want to come home. It was a, by the way, think about what you share your kids, by the way. Uh, you know, I, I, you know uh, Kurt was talking about this this morning. Even, even the things that we show children that might not even necessarily be full of, of sex can still affect them you know, with the violence and the gore. It, I just want to lay it there. But my next door never had no, no regard for that. And... So as I was going out the door, uh, the lights were out, and he came around the side of the house and, and screamed and growled. I was aware of him, by the way. Screamed and growled. And I was probably 10 or 12 years old, but I did faint. I, I passed right out right there. It scared me. It scared me so bad. Terror. But you see, because you're, you have terror because you're worried about what's going to happen to you. You're worried about, and it's self-centered. You're worried about your own well-being. And I think about, I think about the Egyptians you know, the Egyptians had it pretty good with all those Hebrew slaves. But what did they do as the Hebrews were leaving? And the Bible just basically described they plundered Egypt. What did, what did they do to the Hebrew people? Why did they give them? Give them gold, all kinds of riches. Why, why did they do that? Terror, plagues. But it's interesting, and we'll elaborate on this just a minute. But a bunch of those ended up jumping in a chariot not too long later and going after him because terror, the effects of ter terror, they don't last forever. They just never do. They might get you a little bit of a result at first, but they don't last forever. And we even think about, we think about Pharaoh. You know, uh, why did he give in to the plagues? He was horrified. He was fearful. fearful. And, and just by the way, I'm going to say a little something here. You know, uh, he ended up chasing the Israelites, obviously, but or, or the Hebrew people. But um, and you might say, but the reason he did is because God hardened his heart. I want you to understand how God hardened his heart. It wasn't that God made him bad. Pharaoh was already bad. Do we all understand this? Pharaoh was already a bad guy. But bad men are very self-centered. So when all these plagues were coming, Pharaoh gave in to his pain. You understand what was going on? He gave in to his fear. And so he, the Bible says, many times hardened his own heart so that that fear did not motivate him as much and he, and he, and he, and he uh, turned aside on his promises. But even in those times when he wasn't quite there, God helped him along and hardened his heart to that fear and hardened his heart to that cowardice 
so that he would go and chase them. So, so, so my point is, terror, terror doesn't last. But I also want to tell you that even reverence has its limitations. Even that reverent fear. Same story. Did God give Israel good reason to give him honor and reverence? Did he? You better believe it. Before the Red Sea, before they even got to, got to the edge of the water to go across, they were already grumbling. They were all, see, they saw the plagues. You see, the Israelites, I mean, the, uh, the Egyptians saw the plagues as horror. The children of Israel saw them as deliverance. They'd already seen the mighty hand of God at work, but they were already complaining when they heard the chariots coming. But God still saved them by displaying his mighty arm of salvation. So, that, so they went across. And as they were going across, the, the cloud that led them went behind them and separated them from the, from the forces of Egypt. And as they were crossing over and, and they were coming over on dry land, and when they got across, God looked down through the fire, through the, crowd, the clouds, and uh, confused the Egyptian army and, and drowned them and crushed them by the walls of water. They had seen a mighty work of the Lord. But by Exodus chapter 16, they were already grumbling. They were already complaining. How are we going to eat food? You know we're going to starve. And they had just seen the mighty hand of the Lord. They, they, they feared him. They gave him honor. They gave him reverence. What, what God other than the true God could do that? Yet when they were hungry, they're like, what are we going to do? You see, even reverence, even that kind of fear wanes. It always does. And they soon sink into idolatry. You know the story. <clears throat> so even though the fear of God is great motivation for change, and even though the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it is the beginning of knowledge, it is the beginning of understanding, and even though developed reasonable fear or reverence of the Lord leads to a somewhat sustained devotion to the Lord, fear, even in its most noble form, is not enough for sustainable godliness because fear always wanes. We hear it all the time. What's wrong with our nation? Why are we fine? Because we've, we've lost the fear of the Lord. We've got to get the fear of the Lord back. Let's see, here's the thing we, we did. Even though uh, people have false doctrines and false ideas about, about God, our nation feared the Lord. But fear always, when, it, when, when it's not helped, when it's not added to something else, when there's not a more excellent way associated with it, fear, good or bad, always wanes. Now, most people eventually get this concept. Most people understand that fear is not enough. Fear is a temporary, or I would say incomplete response for an ongoing situation. It serves a purpose, but it eventually has to either be replaced or enhanced by something else to bring about the best results. And I want to give you a few examples. Sometimes fear really has to be replaced by bravery. And that's when people realize that a principle or a person is more important than the consequences that they were fearing earlier. Sometimes it's silly things. Uh, you know, I'm, 
I'm just a scared, a scared person, I guess, by nature. I, I, I do fear the dark, but I also have this horrible fear of heights. I mean, I, when, I, when, I watch a, when I watch a movie about somebody getting too, edge to, uh, too close to an edge of a cliff, I start feeling sick. When we go somewhere, like I take the kids, you know, it's a place where we go hiking. If they get too close to the edge of a waterfall, I physically feel that in my midsection when they get really close, like 20 feet from the edge. I start, I start, and I'm not, I'm not joking. I really feel it. That's the fear of heights that I have. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, in our job now, I found myself, I'm not going to get this job, our company's not going to get this job unless we go up on this very high ladder to take care of this situation, uh, this particular um, uh, landing. We've got to get up there and do it. And I found myself nearly 30 feet off the ground. You're like laughing. You are a whip. Look, we all have our issues. But uh, <laughs> as you know, 30 feet off the ground, I find myself doing that. And I mean, horrified, but I get the job done. And there have been a couple of times when I've been brave enough to take a camera because I'm like, nobody's going to believe this. And, and take a picture of how high I am up off the ground. The point is, sometimes it's just kind of silly things. You know, my, my, uh, my realization that this job is more important than me fearing the consequences makes me have va uh, bravery. Sometimes you hear about people running into a burning building. People are afraid of fire. Uh, people are afraid of burning to death. But yet, if there's somebody in a burning building, whether it's somebody they love or somebody they don't know, all of a sudden, the consequences of that fire are not as important as the person's life in there. And fear is replaced by by bravery, I, you know, I think about I think about the Revolutionary War. Revolutions often happen when people care more about their freedom or the way their loved ones have been treated more than they fear the oppression of the government, and that's when bravery kicks in, and we're able to we're able to have movies like The Patriots, good stuff. You know, at the end we can watch that. Some of those fears are placed by anger, whether it's righteous. Or unrighteous anger. When fear is replaced by uh, by righteous anger, oftentimes that leads to actions that will bring about justice. Sometimes when fear is replaced with unrighteous anger, it leads to it leads to crime. I've got so many stories about people through the years who have tried to do things that were do them the right way and the godly way, and it's made people angry. And I, I know one preacher friend that was murdered because someone's fear that were seeking help turned to anger when it didn't go their way, and, and he was murdered. Sometimes fears are placed with callousness or numbness. Sometimes it's pure, pure survival. Did you know that that's why many slave rebellions happened through the centuries, where all of a sudden, you know, people were afraid they were going to get killed, they were afraid of the pain, or they are afraid of their, afraid for their lives, and then all of a sudden, after decades of that, and sometimes generations of that, they're like, that doesn't even bother us anymore. And it's, it's exchanged for numbness or callousness <coughs> and uprisings occur. Sometimes sin is the same way, or I'll just say rebellion. You ever had a kid when you're spanking them, look in rebellion and say, that doesn't even hurt. That doesn't even hurt. <laughs> so the parent has to find something else that works because they become callous to the fear of the spanking. I was watching a court show one time, not one of these silly serial court 
shows, but uh, but, but real but real thing, you know, real uh, court hearings. And there was this one guy who just started cussing the judge out, and the judge just said, "Okay, uh, contempt of court, a month in jail." And uh, he just started cussing more, and rushed the judge, uh, went up there, rushed the bench. He just kept cussing and cussing. The judge said, "Okay, two months." Three months, kept up four months, ended up being like two and a half years, I don't know if that stood or not, for contempt of court because his fear, he had been in jail, this guy had been in jail and arrested so many times, callousness, those things didn't bother him anymore. Sometimes fear is replaced with, one fear is replaced with another fear. You know, that's how politicians work. They do their best to get everybody afraid of something. Something, you know, uh, like, like I'm afraid of losing freedom. A lot of people are, are fear losing freedom. But if you can get them to fear catching COVID worse than they fear loss of freedom, it's going to change the whole political scene of a country, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and that kind of stuff happens all the time. And sometimes when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we, we even think that fear is going to be replaced by faith. Have faith instead of fear. And there's a certain amount of truth that is associated with that. You know, nations need to fear the Lord. I've already mentioned that. Individuals outside of Christ, they need to fear the Lord. And, you know, when they find faith, it, it relieves some of that fear. And I get that. Christians, Christians, they want to have that reverence for the Lord so they can serve him in a deeper manner. But again, Fear wanes after a while, and fear, we'll talk about this in a little while, looks for loopholes. It always does. Even the reverent fear looks for loopholes. How, you know, how can I show reverence but still get my way? How can I avoid the punishment of the Lord? How can I, how can I, how can I do something, uh, maybe, maybe change my wording or change the way that I look, look at it or maybe, or maybe put my own definition to grace so that, I can fear the Lord, but still actually do what I want to do. Now, I began this lesson by quoting from uh, a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It said, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now, before I even, we're not even gonna turn, we'll turn there a little bit later. But I'm going to ask you, what is that more excellent way? Just tell me. Love. Now, you know the context here. The context is, a, of a, is a, the use and the abuse of spiritual gifts. Love is the more excellent way than focusing on those gifts. But if you keep reading in chapter 13, you're going to eventually find that love is even greater than what? Two very important things. Faith and what? Hope. Love is, even, love is a more excellent way when, it's com uh, when combined with faith and hope than faith and hope by themselves. Both faith and hope have been emphasized even this week. As a matter of fact, love in reality is the fulfillment of the law. It is a more excellent way. Let's go ahead and look at Romans 13. It was, uh, someone asked me today, did they step on my message? A few people used some of, some of my texts, but that's okay. But this one was used. Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. 
And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is a more excellent way than that which is, which is good, holy, and righteous. The law, the commandment. And I want to suggest tonight, if you haven't already, have already uh, figured it out, that I want to suggest that love is a more excellent way than fear. Even, and let me finish, even fearing the Lord is a more excellent way. Now turn over to 1 John chapter 4. I know you've been expecting to go there. 1 John chapter 4. Let's just start in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the spirit to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. See, fear Fear is burdensome. It really is. Fear on its own, even the good kind of fear on its own, is very burdensome. What about the terror aspect of fear? Well, that's burdensome because, as it says here in our text, fear involves punishment or consequences. Now, is punishment motivating? It absolutely is. But it is not necessarily the most noble motivation, and it wanes. As a matter of fact, any type of emotional fear always wanes after a while. You know, back in the day when you had network TV, remember those days? You guys up here in front might not remember those days, but you know, you'd, you'd have a commercial and everybody run to the bathroom. I run to the kitchen, and then when it's about to come on, everybody say, it's coming on, it's coming on, everybody just to make a mad dash back there. But you, but you remember when there used to be all these commercials about the starving children in Africa? And they would talk about, now, by the way, I'm, you know, I'm not against any of that. You need to help as many people as you can. You know, this is kind of what we're talking about, love here. You know, love does no wrong. You know, uh, love and compassion go hand in hand. You know, when Jesus was moved with compassion, he wasn't just moved with compassion because people needed salvation. Uh, Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw they were hungry. Right. You understand what I'm saying? You know, so, so just make sure we don't try to get all so spiritual and actually lose the spiritual aspect that the Lord has presented to us. But back to those commercials, you know, the, the first few times you see that, you see those, those poor starving children, you're, you're motivated, and then they hit, the, hit you with the guilt, don't they? For the price of one soda a day, you can feed these children. Now, that might be true, but why, do they, why don't they just say for 30 bucks a month or whatever soda was back then? <laughs> like, 
a lot less. But what did you say? What did you say? For thirty bucks a month, you can do this. No, because that doesn't that doesn't affect guilt. For one, so you know that thing that you don't need, that thing that's making you overweight, that thing that is absolutely a first world thing that you should be ashamed of yourself for getting because if you didn't, you could feed these starving children. You know, that, that motivated people. People are giving up stuff so they can go and help. But, but after you've seen that commercial 8,000 times, you shouldn't be watching TV that much, but if you, you see that commercial 8,000 times, the gift is not there anymore. That's why guilt is not a motivator. Guilt should not be a main motivator. There's a place for guilt, but guilt should not be a main motivator in the faith because it wanes. People want to be guilty for so long then they get a little hardened to it. If you're not careful, fear wanes as well. Fear has to be replaced and that replacement is love. Love keeps the correct. And by the way, even that reverent awe of the Lord needs to be enhanced by love because if love is not there it will wane as well love keeps the correct measure of respect, honor and all so much that John would say in a couple of places referring to Jesus if you love me Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. Now, a lot of times we read that wrong, and it's Jesus is trying to do guilt. Like if your wife comes and says, if you really love me, you would go get me some coffee. You know, I have to do that, and she doesn't sound like that. You know, because you know what I mean? If you really love me, just prove your love. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, love leads to obedience. True love leads to obedience. He didn't say, if you fear me, then you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will, because love enhances godly fears so that the work and the word of the Lord will actually be done. Again, the fear of the Lord might be the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom, but it's certainly not the end of it. Perfect love is the height of wisdom and of knowledge. And by the way, before I go any further, I don't even have this in my notes here. How many of you believe that strong doctrine is important? Say amen. How many of you believe we should stand against false doctrine? Amen. amen. Yeah. How many believe that we should teach the doctrine of Christ without apology? Okay. Love is doctrine. Love is doctrine just as much as repent and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Love is nothing fluffy out there that's just an add-on that should be avoided because it takes you away from the important stuff. Doctrine is just another, it's just a fancy word we use or, or maybe even a, a library word that we use for teaching. And Jesus taught a lot and the apostles taught a lot about love. It's interesting. You'll know this scripture. Turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. Let's start in verse 29. Ah, why not? Let's start in verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well. And he asked, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. And you shall fear the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Does it say that? Wonder why. Wonder, it's important to fear the Lord. It really is. But that's not the greatest commandment because the Lord knows from experience, from those who had, even his people who had the type of terror fear, it waned. It waned and it didn't bother them anymore. Even when they had the shock and all feels of fear, seeing the mighty hand of the deliverance of God. But, you know, people say that all the time. I believe, I believe if I had seen the Red Sea part, man, I really believe if I saw that. Well, that really worked out for the, for the Hebrews, didn't it? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it worked out for them. You see, even that type of, of, of fear, and even faith that they saw waned because in and of itself, it is not enough. You know I misquoted that. Let's go back. Uh, to the passage, uh, verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the greatest commandment, greater than even the admonition that is repeated over and over in the scripture to fear the Lord. Loving him is, is greater. That's a greater commandment because it is more lasting. It is more complete. That love completes the law. It, it completes, it fulfills what God had planned throughout the years. It enhances all those things that God has tried to teach his people. It is the greatest commandment. And perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. Now, what is perfect love? I hope I want to give you a picture of, of understanding because we do grow into things. I think it was Brother uh, uh, David that said today that, um, yes, we need to do it today, but of course there is growth. You've got to grow into things. You know, you've got to grow into perfect love. That doesn't happen immediately. You know, when you become a Christian, sometimes you're still operating on fear. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really fearless. And sometimes you need to, by the way. Sometimes, you know, that guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, you, you do appeal to the new creation. Sometimes, first, if somebody's in sin, you appeal to their new creation. You, you appeal to who they are in Christ. You appeal to that, to that new creature. But sometimes they're not walking according to the Spirit. They're walking according to the flesh. So sometimes the only thing they're going to hear is when you appeal to the flesh. Because that's what they're walking in. And they need to get a dose of fear. So sometimes they need that. Uh, and, and that's true. So, so uh, and sometimes we, we, we do need, simply need to stand in awe and wonder about who the Lord is and the things that he's done. And that is good. The perfect love is going to be what brings out the lasting results. Because we are commanded. We just read we're commanded to love the Lord. And, the, and that's good. People don't come to Christ unless they love him, unless they love the Lord but there's going to be a, a good mixture of fear and love at the beginning until love is perfected. Because love the Lord, that's a picture of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your soul. That's a picture, a small picture of what perfect love is with every part of you. Love your neighbor. That's a picture of love, isn't it? What's well, a little bit closer to perfect love? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so we're going towards that. 
That's the perfection. That's the, that's the goal of what perfect love is going to be in relation to other people. How about uh, love one another? Well, that's love. Let's answer it a little bit more. Love the brethren, you know. That's, that's familial love. You know, we are, we are a family of Christ. It's a little bit closer. What about this one? Love the brethren in such a way that the unbelieving world recognizes it. Isn't that what he said in uh, John chapter 13? You know, uh, uh, love one another so that who will know? Who will know? They will know that you are my disciples. So that the world will know. You see, perfect love among the saints is so good that it's even recognized. It's noticed by an unbelieving world. That's more of a picture. How about love your wife? That's a picture of love. But what maybe is a picture of closer to what perfect love is? Love your wife? Ah, who said that? As Christ loved the church. We're, we're growing. We're going in that direction of what perfect love looks like. And we keep going and doing things that maybe would not necessarily be natural until we get to the most unnatural thing of all. Matthew chapter 5. That way we don't want to be natural. We want to be spiritual. The most unnatural love of all. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah. People are like, okay, that makes sense. Sometimes it's hard to love my neighbor, but all right, we'll do it. But hate your enemy, I'm, all right. I'm down with that one. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of God, sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the good and the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you than doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. See, this is bizarre. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, but I hope when I'm... Back east, we always laid the body out when we die. You know, when I was a kid, we laid the body out at the house. And the people stayed up all night, and people, you, had, you had your dead relative there for several days at the house. You know, it was really strange back then. Uh, but we don't do that much anymore. Uh, but I've been to lots of funerals since I've been in Montana, and most of the time, there, there's not a body there. You know, that, that's, a, that's a different thing for, for me. So, uh, so if they take me back east, and I'm all laid out in front of everybody, and somebody starts preaching, and they start talking about how much Phil loves his family. I do love my family. I love my family a lot. But if that's all anybody can say about me, I'd just assume not have a funeral. Just, just put me to the ground. Because even the worst of sinners oftentimes love their family, don't they? They'll take care of the family. They'll protect their family. That is love. But perfect love looks a lot more like this. As a matter of fact, says, if you wish to be sons of God, that's the kind of love that you're going to have because he takes care of the evil and the good on this earth, doesn't he? As a matter of fact, Jesus once said, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who persecute you. Because in doing this, you will be like your father who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. What makes us like God is loving our enemy. That's perfect love. And by the way, if you think I'm just kind of building this up, let's go look at verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, that's been describing perfect love the whole time. Perfect love is what a love that you can have that causes you to even love your enemies. You see, that is much more motivating than the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord. When you love Him and you love somebody else so much that you really just want to do it. There's a longing within you. And I don't have time to go over this. I've done this at other sermons before. But when you go and you see the apostles and they talk about their longing for one another. Love is not just a decision. That is a basic, there's a basic love where I just decide to love. I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice. You were looking at 1 John 3.16. We know he loved by this, that he, that he gave his life for us. And we ought to live in our lives for the brethren. That's true. There's a decision there. But but, but love is deeper than that. Love is motivating. You see, it, it, it can't be motivating if it's just a decision. Well, I'm going to choose to love. Uh, Paul would say things like, how my heart is knit together with yours. Have you ever tried to rip apart a blanket that's been knit together? It's difficult. In other words, there's a, there's a pain that's there when things aren't right. It's deeper than a choice. It's, it, it's more noble than a choice. Paul would talk to the saints about how much he longed for them. There was a deep urging and a longing to be with them. It was more than simply, well, I choose to like you even though you guys are jerks. You know, it was more, you know, that's why we present love sometimes. But, but it's more noble than that. You know, Jesus, yeah, he chose to lay down his life for us, but he did it because he loved us so much. So many things that the Bible says about love. I'm just going to read a few of them. He laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, you know, the, the, the 1 John 3.16 defines love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it describes love. If you ever wonder what love is, that's what it is. Um, uh, Romans 12.10, brotherly love leads us to devotion. Uh, 13.10, love does no wrong to his labor, but it's the fulfillment of the law. Love edifies. I'm just going to go through here. Uh, uh, we do all things in love. Love is what faith works through. We serve one another uh, through love. Love causes us to bear one another. The body is built up in love. Love is in accordance with knowledge and discernment. These are all New Testament passages. Love consoles. Uh, love knits our hearts together. Love is the perfect bond of unity. Uh, uh, part of our protection is the breastplate of love, not just the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, love, there's great joy and comfort comes from love. We love in deed and in truth. The love of God uh, is to keep His commandment. And one of my uh, and one of my favorite things about love, um, and I wanted to, um, to uh, yeah, Second Corinthians five fourteen. It was already mentioned this week. The love of Christ controls us, or the love of life. It can be interpreted constrains us. Love is perfect. Love is the greatest motivation. And that doesn't wane. You know, oftentimes, you know, we've talked about you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we, and we often talk about um, when we do marriage counseling, 
we often will say things like, well, you just need to choose to love your wife. Well, that's, that's all well and good, but I just want to ask you, women, how would it make you feel if your husband said, I don't feel it, but I'm going to choose to do it? I mean, I mean, really, I'm not trying to get you to laugh at that. I'm not really feeling it, but I'm going to choose because God wants me to. I'm going to choose to love you. You see, love is deeper than a choice. That's not going to be something that lasts. That's not going to be something that motivates. It's good. It's good that somebody chooses it, but you're looking for, and it's a start, but you're looking for something greater and deeper. You're looking for the love that controls, the love that constrains, and that's something deep that's within our character. It is a fruit of the Spirit. We've got a lot of young kids here, so I'm just going to put it this way. Uh, unholy images that are readily available on the Internet, we all know what I'm talking about here. You know, one of the things that I do, and I'm actually going to be taking a class to become a certified coach in this this summer and helping men particularly through this. I've noticed through the years that when you try to get a man to stop participating in this activity, shame and guilt works for a little while. And man, they forget about that and they go right back to it. Fear of punishment works for a little while. You know, you know what this is going to do to your soul? You know, is it, what's it going to do to your eternity? Well, that might get them off of it for a little while, but it never works for long. Several guys that I've talked to actually appeal to the goodness and the holiness of God. That, that awe and wonder of the Lord. It's like they forget about that while they're in the midst of it. And then they're, 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 it hits them like a ton of bricks when they're finished. Guilt and shame comes back, but that's not enough. And I'm going to tell you, when you start talking to people about loving the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and making that about their motivation, that works a lot more. That enhances that awe and wonder of the Lord. Loving the Lord and others helps us Christians do the hard work of the Lord. It helps us to do evangelism because you're not just out there doing it because you feel like you ought to and you feel like people are looking at you if you're not doing enough of it. It also helps us in the real life stuff. You know, I heard Mr. Duddy talking about real life. Sometimes we need to get in real life. You know, I could tell you a number of times that I've had to stay up all night when I was with people. One guy, three nights in a row, thought I was going to die, helping him go through his withdrawals because he really wanted to stop do you think I wanted to do that? Do you think that I really wanted my motivation to be guilt because I really ought to help him? I don't know how much I would have lasted. But loving that guy, the love of the Lord, and loving the Lord because the Lord loved him motivates me to do that. I remember one time when I was trying to get a guy some help. This was like 10 years ago. No, it was more than that. It's like 15 years ago. The guy was about to kill himself. I mean, you know, you learn to tell the difference between people who are saying it and people who are about to do it. And I said, we're going we're gonna to go to the hospital right now. You know, I've been doing Bible studies with him. We're going to go right now. And he said, you sit right now. I said, no, I'm not. We're going to that. He pulls out a knife and puts it right up to me and says, you sit down. Neither one of us are going to You know, I don't run fast, but I could have outrun him. I was like, you know what? My motivation has to be 
the love of the Lord. Not, the, the, the fear of the Lord might have helped me then. The knowledge of the Lord might have helped me then. Faith in the Lord is going to help me then. But it's going to be the love of the Lord that keeps me in battles like that. I already mentioned marriages, but difficult marriages. I want to tell you, love is the more excellent way. You can't just tell people, we just focus on Jesus and your marriage will be okay. I think we've tried that a lot too much and have seen the failures of it. That's true, by the way. Focus on Jesus make everything better, won't it? But, but we understand that there's got to be more than that. People can't just go to marriage with some kind of religious fervor and fix it. Love is the more excellent way. And by the way, faith is the answer. I'm, I'm, I'm way out of time, so I'm just going to say this. I want you to think about this. Galatians 5, 6, I've already mentioned it. Galatians 5, 6 says there's neither circum Christ is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but faith working through what? Yeah, faith is incomplete without love. I already know that these three remain, faith, faith, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Even, even belief, faith is not complete without love. So that faith that helps us to get through is enhanced by love. Um, I'm going to end. With, I promise I'm going to end with this: how to develop love. First of all, I, I talked about focus on Jesus. You really do need to focus on Jesus because we develop His character. That was part of His character, as uh, um, Matt, Har Matt Harper was saying. Um, when I think it was, was it Matt? Somebody preaching this week was saying part of the glory of the Lord wasn't just his life, it was his character. And as God was saying his name in there, it talked about his loving kindness, didn't it? That's part of the character of the Lord. As we're, as we're being transformed into his image, that love, that love that caused Jesus to come on this earth. You know, um, I think Mr. Dady mentioned God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's part of his character. And as we focus on, on that glorious image, as is mentioned there in, in 2 Corinthians 3, we are transformed into that. One other practical thing that I want us to understand, um, because several people mentioned humility this week. Turn to Luke 7. This really is my last verse. Turn to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7, and let's... Go down to... Verse 47. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. I want you to think about this. One of the ways that we can grow in love is, yes, focus on Jesus, be transformed in his glorious image as we gaze upon him through the scriptures. But another way is to, you know, we love because he what? Yeah. Another way of saying that is when we understand just how much we've been forgiven, we're going to love more than we've ever even imagined. And that's what humility is. Humility is I'm nothing without the Lord. He, I didn't deserve any of this. He's the one who forgave me, and that causes my love to increase. Love is what's going to last. Love is what's going to make that horror fear, that category of it. Love is what's going to make that reverential fear complete and effective to get the job done. Perfect love casts out fear. Let's put it this way. Perfect love fulfills the fear, makes it effective. 
It's what God was shooting for. All when God throughout the Old Testament was talking about fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, he was pointing towards something that couldn't happen then. That was truly loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because that's what makes the fear of the Lord effective. And so, uh, brethren, um, the Lord has seen our love. And I can hear him say to us, excel still more. Thank you. close uh, this year's uh, family camp, I'm going to ask Matt to come up and, and close us in a word of prayer. You know, there's so many folks that have worked so hard and so long to make this camp possible. And, you know, Matt, like I said before, when I introduced him, is such a great man of character and he supported this, this congregation when he was here and he continues to support this congregation from uh, up north. So it's only right for me to ask him to close us in a word of prayer. So. Gotcha. Let's pray. Dear great and glorious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I first just wish to thank you for the love of the saints, Lord, and all the people that saw fit to take the time and the energy and the effort it took to get here to encourage one another, Lord, and encourage this body here and all of us that came. Father, I thank you for that, and I thank you for their love, and I thank you for that love that you gave through your spirit that indwells each one of us. And Father, we just pray your blessings now as we depart from these ways, as was said many times, and as uh, Brother Doty so eloquently put today, that, Father, we don't just ponder these things and someday put them into place, but help us put it into our lives right now, today, and understand all the people that we see this week as we go forth, the people we'll see tomorrow morning, the people we'll meet on airplanes and highways and gas stations and work. Mm. Father, those are people that need to be saved. Those are the people that need to see the light. And those are the people that need to be stayed, snatched out of darkness, fearing even the garment polluted by the flesh. Help us to be that light this week this today tomorrow the next day and after lord and help us strive and have the goals as it was said today lord uh, father to uh to have the goals to do that and to be your eyes your ears your heart uh your mind father that we can get these things done we thank you so much for times like this that we can be encouraged one by another and through your spirit just pray that you'll watch over everybody and bless them as they uh, return to their homes and Get back to where they came from, Father. Just pray your angels go before them and keep them safe. We thank you for their effort to be here. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to do this still. And just pray more and more, Father, that you will help us to see that. And, Lord, that we will strive diligently until that day that uh, you come home to take us. And, Father, or you, you come here to take us home. Father, we just thank you for this time, for everybody's efforts to make it happen. And just ask that you'll use us that we may hear on that day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, everyone, for coming out. And we will see you next year, Lord willing. Let's give it up for yourself. Woo!